So I said, okay. And when we stood up together, there was a shout and people were just really enthusiastic and we walked forward and there was nothing in the message or anything that had happened that had truly influenced us. But at that moment, the evangelist put his hands on our shoulders and then he um, spoke very directly to me and he said, you are a wild rose. But tonight the Lord is picking you, and he's going to make you a sweet fragrance to many. And at that moment, I was slain in the Spirit, and I began to see like a slideshow of everything that I'd done in my life that had grieved the Lord or that had hurt other people, and I just began to weep, Mm. weep for everything that I'd ever done. And uh, when I opened my eyes, I looked up, and I saw all these faces looking down at me, I felt quite embarrassed, and then I looked across, and there was Joe lying on the floor, and he looked at me, and he said, well, love, at least we went down together. (laughs) And that was the day that I was saved, and I was forever changed. I later was filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, I thought, coming from a Catholic background, that the best thing to do was to become a nun. And so I began on a journey looking for the perfect nunnery that could uh, uh, fit someone with a quirky personality like mine. Well, it is an amazing story of of conversion. Was there a big change in your life after that? Did everyone notice the difference? Uh, Definitely noticed the difference. I was asked to leave the apartment that I was living in, and um, I actually ended up and... uh, I found an order of nuns that fit me perfectly. They were the little sisters of Jesus, and uh, they were actually the very ones who sent me to Israel. Okay. that's how I ended up in Israel. So soon after, you you, you went straight from becoming a Christian in London to visiting the homeland of Jesus? I went straight from becoming a Christian to traveling around Europe for about six months um, and just visiting all the different kinds of Catholic charismatic communities that were experiencing a real spiritual revival. And um, on my way back to London, I ran into a hitchhiking nun who belonged to the Order of the Little Sisters of Jesus. And I thought, that's it. That's what I want to be, a hitchhiking nun. (laughs) And he's based in Jerusalem. Tell me, how did you meet your Japanese husband? I ended up meeting him in Jerusalem. Needless to say, I didn't become a nun. And uh, instead, God took me on a different journey, and I called Sister Constance, the Mother Superior. I said, it looks like um, God is speaking to me to stay a little while in Israel, and so I won't be becoming a nun. And she said, well, thank God for that. (laughs) And um, so I actually met a community of uh, Holiness Pentecostal Christians, and they invited me to come and spend some time with them. And uh, at that time, he was living in the community. And it was a um, a community where basically Jerusalem was a very difficult place to live in at that time and economically very um, difficult. And so people just found that it was easy to live in community and share the expenses and share the rent. And so I moved in with this. Uh, holiness Pentecostal community, which was another learning curve entirely for my life. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met him. And we ended up getting married, had five children. And now we're 40 years later. 
and uh, four of my five children have served in the Israeli army, and my youngest right now is the first lieutenant in the in the Israeli Air Force. You've really had an incredible time, uh, almost 40 years uh, in Israel. You've lived through wars, terror attacks, adversity of all kinds. Tell us about your ministry. What do you guys do there? We found a home church called the Naki Street Congregation, which is one of the one of the congregation that really meets the needs of local believers that have been there long term. It's a, a really combination of many, many backgrounds, of many theologies, and but we put all of those aside because, once again, it's all about a body ministry. And so, quite by accident, one night, I was in 2000, I was watching this flood of Lebanese refugees pouring across the northern border of Israel, about 7,500 of them. Wow. And I was sitting there right in front of my TV watching them, and I kept saying to my husband, oh, somebody should do something. They have nothing. They're coming in their pajamas and barefoot, and and they were fleeing Hezbollah that was moving into their villages, burning their houses, and threatening their lives, and Israel had decided to absorb all, all of them. And I said it about three times, and on the third time I heard the Lord speak so clearly to me, and what about you? And uh, so I decided, okay, I would use what I had, and I went in my building. I live on the, in a, a building of 23 families, so I went to every family and I asked them to give me what they had two of in their bathrooms and in their kitchens and in their cupboards. And um, we filled uh, my car and I got in the car and I drove nearly four and a half hours north to the Lebanese border, fully expecting to be stopped by the soldiers, fully expecting that I would see lots and lots of other aid organizations rushing to meet the needs of this flood of refugees, and I was the only one. And I got there. I just got out of my car, said, who needs toothpaste? Who needs diapers? Who needs some supplies? And within minutes, all of the things were gone. And this one man said, when will you be back? And I said, I'll be back tomorrow. And I kept doing it. And eventually... My whole neighborhood got involved, and uh, they began collecting things for me, and I just kept going until the big aid agencies kicked in. And that really was the beginning of my ministry, the Ministry of Health, and it's evolved into something much bigger than myself now. What are you doing in this season now? Now I'm working through the church. I'm the director of social outreach in the church. And I work with the pastor's wife, Liz Kopp. We are the pinch heaters, hitters, uh, meeting the needs of Holocaust survivors and widows and orphans and soldiers, families who are grieving, children that need assistance for school fees and going to camps. And so we've set up different funds through the church. And we try to be able to give immediate aid. If someone calls and says, I've had my electricity cut off, then we don't have a committee meeting to decide what we're going to do. We just pay the bill. Awesome. We're a little ministry with a big heart. And tell us, what are you doing in Australia at the moment? At the moment, uh, I was invited by Good News for Israel and CMJ of Australia and New Zealand to come and just do a speaking engagements in Western Australia and Queensland and uh, to also just 
fly down to Sydney and speak at the uh, theatreette in the Parliament House in Sydney. So that's what I've come to do. Why do I do it? Why did I say yes? Because money is wonderful, but money without the covering of prayer is like water in a bucket with a hole in it. You cannot function in Israel without prayer covering. Mm. And so my basic passion is to inspire people to pray for Israel. We certainly love to pray for Israel, and we certainly have a heart for what God is doing in that beautiful nation. And I love it on your blog, you say that uh, if you read through, you'll enjoy reading about life in Israel from a perspective that will not be portrayed in the international news media. It is just so surprising, the different kind of stories you hear about Israel in the media, isn't it? Uh, it, it really is. And the sad thing is, it's what you're not hearing. Mm. Um, that is the most disturbing And what you're not being told, that is the most disturbing. And Israel has a heart for the nations, and it's a country that is always running to aid other nations. And um, they're a country that are absorbing immigrants all the time. And they're also a country that on the average of every two years are having to face some kind of a war. And yet despite the fact that they are constantly dealing with war and terror and rejection by some of the world's strongest and biggest nations, they continue to grow, they continue to thrive, they continue to be innovative, and they continue to be a blessing to the world. And in Israel, more inventions are patented in Israel per year than any other nation in the world. And that's because Israelis realize They can't depend on others for their defense or their food or anything else. And so they are learning to come up with ingenious ideas from within so that they can survive as a nation. So I'm part of that. I've learned one thing in Israel, that a no is never a no. A closed door is never a rejection. And that... Without faith, you should never live in the land. Mm. So it's a remarkable thing. Another question for you too before we wrap up. Uh, I know that uh, there are a number of Messianic Jewish congregations. There's a a, a lot of Christian churches that are thriving uh, in Israel, but you often hear conflicting numbers of uh, the percentage of Christians in Israel. You're on the ground there. What's your research about the uh, growth of Christianity in Israel? Are you seeing growth of Christianity there? We are definitely seeing um, the growth of the growing numbers of Messianic believers, and we're seeing growing numbers of uh, Muslim converts to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And and it's because of the pressure-cook situation we are in. And I would say in Israel right now, there's probably between fifteen to 18,000 Messianic believers. Mm-hmm. And I know that because of where my daughter is serving, there are more believing uh, Messianics than Christians serving in the Israeli Defense Forces in high positions now than it has ever been in the history of the modern state of Israel. Wow, that's fascinating to hear. Well, we could talk all day, but our time's run out, and I just think uh, you are a history maker, Christine. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. And is there a website people can go to to find out more about your ministry? 
They can, you can just log on and look up anywhere, just Google the view from my window and Christine Fakakibara and you'll find me. God bless you. Thanks for your time. Shalom. Bless you. Bye. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater. And why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au.